everyone. It's the USL Show. It's brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network, and we are sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is a special one. Evan's not here. Kevin's not in doing the introduction. That means it must be Phil doing some kind of an interview, and that's what it is. Um, I'm very lucky to have Stephen Short. He's the vice president of USLD3, and I tried to cover everything, and I apologize if I missed everything, anything, but I think for the most part, I think I got all the main topics, maybe not with as much depth as everybody would like, but... Um, we did get the interview. We get lots of facts, lots of information, and we even talk about Chattanooga. And uh, um, I think everybody will be a little bit more informed when they leave this episode. So I do hope you enjoy it. That's all I got to say. I will talk to you after it's over. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the show. I am, uh, I've been blessed with this huge honor to talk to Stephen Short, who is the uh, vice president. I almost said assistant principal, and I have no idea why. Vice that president great. I'll take it. of USLD3. Uh, Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us today, Phil. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for uh, allowing me to interview you today. I have tons of questions, and uh, we'll just dig right in. I kind of want to hear about you personally and how you got to this position. Oh, geez. Uh, how long do you have? Really? It's been a journey. So um, actually, I've always wanted to work in sports and was able to find my way to USL after I moved to Tampa. Um, pre- before joining USL, I had stints at EA Sports for a while. So working in video games, talk about a dream job. Mm-hmm. Uh, was able to work. I think at that time it was on NCAA 07, Madden 07. Uh, man, that really dates me, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> that's first level of HD gaming. Um, and then before then, I was at Disney Sports for a while, working in an operations and event management. Um, and then the University of Tennessee Athletic Department for about five years, right after uh, I decided to stop playing college soccer uh, because I realized that my dream of being a professional goalkeeper had come to an end before I knew it. Mm, and was that the hard way, knowing you weren't going to quite make it in the pros, or was it injury? Uh, it certainly was an injury. It was um, <laughs> Growing up in uh, south of Louisville, Kentucky, I don't believe I was properly prepared for what it took mm. to be a, a professional or an elite collegiate player. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw the EA Sports thing throughout the internet, and I had to ask if you have any contacts in someone who can get USL on FIFA. You know, we do. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's um, it's a con uh, something we I've been working. Well, try to dip my hat into since I've been here at least to make that introduction. You know, every now and then we have that conversation. And I think a lot of that's going to come from the fans wanting the the league in the game, too. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a business component to it, you know, that both ends have to make sure it works. And, um, you know, obviously EA needs to sell titles, right? That's that's how they make money. So, um, But it's great to see that teams that were in USL previously, like Orlando and Montreal and Portland and um, teams that were in USL that have roots there that are now there at MLS. So... Mm -hmm. Um, and even players that were in USL that are now probably playing, you know, like uh, internationally that are playing for clubs. So we're there to some degree, but maybe not uh, officially or if anyone knows about it. Yeah. So hear that fans that's in our hands. So maybe we can get some subreddits <laughs> going or uh, start yeah, get a it fan going. group. Let's go. 
Let's yeah, go. that sounds like it's doable. So I, that wasn't something I thought was even doable. So I'm glad to hear that. Uh, well, I don't know the time frame on it. Obviously, it's pure speculation, but sure. we get that question a lot. And I think our fans who are avid FIFA um, consumers who could definitely beat me at the match. And <laughs> if you're ever in Tampa, come to come play us. Uh, we have a good tournament in our office every now and then. Oh, I bet. I'd get destroyed. Uh, I wish I had more time. Um uh, let's dig into the USLD3 itself. When did this start getting talked about? When did it become real? And maybe just kind of fill us in on on how this thing got started. Sure. So, um, actually, it was a, a strategy that we began building in 2015 um, as USL, which at that time was Division Three, was pursuing Division Two status with US Soccer. So, uh, if you look at this, I think it was. If I look back to the memos internally, it's like May of 2015, hmm. maybe a little earlier than that, that we started identifying markets we wanted to look at and things where we think we'll build a great regionalized footprint and then a nationalized footprint. Um, looking at different factors that went into the cities, such as population, what stadiums are available, what's already there, what is, or does this city need an entirely new stadium? Um, who we reach out to, potential influencers and things like that. So, um, and then. As we refined that plan, it took about a year and a half, really. Um, only a select few knew that we were actually even working on it internally. That in April of 2017, I think I was in Indianapolis or Minnesota at a convention. That we actually went public with it, uh, where we were meeting with over 100 sports commissions throughout the country, uh, which was a great opportunity for us. And So not only to find out about potential new markets, but also to... Uh, find out how sports commissions are working with teams where USL already exists and cities there. So um, as we launched that in April 17, uh, we started following up on our contacts and our leads and those who initially expressed interest through some random conversations and uh, continue building the league from there and really from scratch. Uh, luckily, we had the strong infrastructure of USL behind the entire initiative with you know over 50 staff members here in Tampa and and more than 17 departments across the league from everything from club services down to the operations department that make sure that the leagues run day-to-day smoothly. So, And then you have people like Aaron Cranford who right, worked the PR side and our marketing side. So, you know, really it was an all-hands-on-deck initiative to make sure that our leagues continue to run effic- efficiently, um, but also that we were able to take this growth initiative seriously. And we have been. And I think that shows – and the fact that we submitted our materials to the federation yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday was a big day. We saw we saw the the packet you were sending off, and uh, it was definitely excited to, exciting to see. Uh, you mentioned um, some of the staff there. Um, how you already have a good staff is is this mm-hmm. something where you're, you're going to need to hire a lot more? You're going to be able to kind of streamline some some of those jobs. How is that going to work in the front office? Well, we're certainly going to bolster our staff. I mean, I think we add a couple of key roles here and there, and we'll be fine. Um, but we'll continue to grow just as the league will grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right now, obviously, there's a as you add teams, right? You need, we have our operational team in place, and um, there's potential for some new positions that we're looking at that may support more of the digital landscape, and um, and then our teams will need to hire as well. So um, while we already have a lot of the infrastructure in place, um, we may add a couple additional roles here and there, and continue to grow it out to where Division Three will have its own staff and departments uh, to support that league and. Um, in addition to that, that's already operating USL at the Division Two level. Indeed, sounds sounds about right to me. Um, let's talk about some of the more practicals about the league itself. Um, I think everyone's dying to know 
you know, how many teams do you think you'll be, not just this upcoming year, but maybe a comfortable number, you know, conferences, um, season length and the calendar and when it starts and stops. Um, I'll stop there, but then I'll ask you more if we, if we miss a few. <laughs> no, sure. Absolutely. Please feel free to ask all you'd like and we'll share with you what we can to this date. So the interesting thing about the competition aspect is we'll make those formal proposals to all the teams um, in the coming months that the team owners will vote on the final competition structure. Um, definitely a beautiful thing about our system is that it's not the league dictating down to the teams all the time. It's team owners having a say in the number of games in the season and, you know, the calendar. We'll make proposals such as, you know, 24 to 28 games running from March to September. Um, you know, but all that varies, right? So we want to make sure that it fits within their model and they, they like the model that we're proposing. So we'll work through that. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, we're highly anticipating that 24 to 28 game season, uh, which would, you know, most likely um, right, you know, grow us as we move forward into a three conference model. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, right now we're starting with 10 teams, but our long-term vision for this league is 30 to 40 teams nationwide. And can you imagine the day when there's nearly 40 teams at USL, the division two level mm-hmm. and another 40, at the division three level and just bolstering the players and the coaches and referees and executives that will uh, be developing and what our national team will look like after that. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And we're going to touch a little bit more on that in a little bit. Um, some other things I was kind of curious about was um, the rules, you know, that you're going to have. Is there going to be any difference between D2 and D3? You know, USL and D3 had a five-sub rule. Is there anything like that that you're looking at as far as that and roster size and things like that? Well, from the beginning, we wanted the leagues operationally to be extremely similar. Mm. Um, we, do, we don't want them to be too far apart. So I think you'll see um, a lot of similar policies and procedures in place, like the roster size. Uh, you know, we're looking at a roster size of 30, which is the same thing at USL and Division II, uh, with five academy spots and seven international spots as well. So uh, we want to keep those similar. And the reason why we do that is like you're seeing now in Phoenix, when they acquired FC Tucson, that'll make the move to USL Division Three. that operationally they're consistent. And so that way, you know, when you're dealing with referees and everyone, you're not moving from one league to the other and figuring out different, you know, uh, game situations of, all right, well, in that league, they have this many subs. Or in this one, they have that many. We want to keep it consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also for our fans, too, so they understand uh, the level and the heightened level of competition that we'll have in this league. So um, consistency is key. Indeed. Um, a lot of people, it's a point of contention for some of the independent clubs um, in the two sides from MLS to USL Division II, um, talking about the loan structure. And um, I imagine, you know, you're going to have Toronto too, perhaps more um, mm-hmm. than that. Uh, so I imagine that will be pretty similar. And I imagine people are, are pro- probably worrying a little bit about how it will work with uh, possibly Phoenix and FC Tucson having a good relationship or being affiliated. I'm not sure. Um, will that loan system, is that something you're going to have to look at? Well, I don't think we have to look at it. I, I think it's uh, pretty much, uh, you know, there are discussions for uh, with um, a couple MLS teams that have had discussions with our teams at Division Three already. Um, there's also Toronto that will be moving down to Division Three, and um, not even down, but still a professional league, so they'll still be operating at a high level. Mm-hmm. And what we like about that is, you know, you really want to make sure those relationships are strong from club to club. 
Um, if you look at Phoenix in Tucson, not even affiliation, they're owned by the same group. Um, so really, it's, for lack of a better term, all in the family there. But yeah. it is a situation, yes, we need to make sure that, you know, whether it's federation, player registration paperwork for loans is consistent and um, continues to flow through the league registrar to the federation. All those rules, rules will be followed just as they are now with MLS to USL players. So there will be no difference in the way that those operate. Um, it would just may provide different opportunities for different affiliates. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, you were talking about all the clubs that you were looking at adding early on there. And uh, when you were looking around for clubs and as you continue to look for clubs to kind of fill up the uh, perhaps 30 to 40 clubs someday, what do you mm-hmm. look for in a city? What, what, what do you look for in a club itself? Sure. So we always go back to what we call our three pillars um, when we look at expansion. And um, the first being ownership and um, the ownership must be strong um, and and really because it's the backbone of a club right to make sure they're properly funded to make sure that a team can have the proper size front office and the proper materials needed to be successful and that includes you know the right staff to find the right players mm. um, so a strong ownership is always important we'll also look at the market and within that market we start to look at the corporate base um, do they support local professional sports or and at that point collegiate and amateur sports how are involved are these companies in their markets um, we're seeing a tremendous response right now and we're thrilled with that um, but once you move through the corporate culture you get into the community and is there a soccer culture there and in some cases there are some that are feverishly just through the roof and doing awesome and there are some that are up and coming and no matter where they are in that spectrum of fanhood, if you will, the professional team is there to help grow it. And so by a professional team being there, you know, to give direct access to professional soccer in that market, which didn't exist before, is the key for USL Division Three. So we want to make sure that we align and understand with the city and their leaders and their development initiatives that all this works in tandem. The third element we'll look at is the facility or the stadium. I use facility just as a term because there's it's more broad, most likely, but to make sure that the stadium, if there's one in existence, meets and exceeds the standards set forth by U.S. soccer as well as USL. As you know, our seating capacity is elevated above that of the federation as we look at the model and want to make sure that our teams provide a authentic soccer experience that's also family-friendly. And then we also have to make sure that the pitch dimensions and other things like locker rooms and concession stands all these other things are properly there or work with the ownership to ensure that the facility is upgraded to meet those standards so a lot of that comes into play i'd like to tell you that they happen in order um but that's not true um sometimes a lot of cities we've been to will have a potential owner or an owner looking at a different city that they may have an affection for and then you start to look at facilities and in some cases we've been to stadium or cities with no facilities so you realize all right Quickly, you're going to have to build if you want to put a team in this market. So you, you kind of work through that process almost as a puzzle-like system. Um, but it's always something that's very valuable that when you get in the market to spend time on the ground with the leaders and the fans to understand what they want. Yeah, and you mentioned standards there. I'm kind of curious. Are these? I'm, I'm assuming that the standards are going to be different between Division Two and Division Three. Is um, do you set those standards? Are these USSF standards? How does that work? Uh, the simple answer is yes uh, for all of that, but uh, there are standards in place from U.S. soccer. They're called the Professional League Standards, and 
Um, at Division Two to Division Three, the criteria are slightly different, uh, such as ownership net worth or stadium seating capacity. Um, at Division Two, you even get into time zones and things like that, but in market size, where um, at Division Three, we're primarily focused on the stadium capacity, ownership net worth, and and the front office roles, which must be held. Um, you also get into you know percentage of the teams that have to be in the country, that type of thing, versus Canada or outside of it, which sometimes comes into play. But when we focus on those standards, like I mentioned earlier, is that when we looked at the initial standards for USL or USL Division Three, according to that with the federation, we wanted our seating capacity to be higher. Mm. You know, we operate the PDL, which is an elite pre-professional league in the country with over like 74 teams this year. Our seating capacity for the PDL is a thousand. So we want to make sure that when you're looking at professional soccer and that our teams are investing in players and facilities and coaching staffs that have A licenses and, you know, are elite that you know you're in a professional environment. And the seating capacity certainly lends itself to start with that. Um, but you still have to have the front office to fill it. Mm-hmm. And so that gets into the front office standards. So there, there certainly are federation standards as well as league standards that must be met. Great. Um, what are some of the challenges facing these clubs? You mentioned that some have certain things, certain strengths, and other strengths. Is it is there a common um, common difficulty that ever every one of these guys are trying to figure out, or is it pretty different depending on the city? Well, I mean, I think every market has its different uh, variables that you have to deal with, and um, or any, even idiosyncrasies with the way that it operates. But um, I wouldn't even call them challenges, to be honest with you. I think you look at the fact that. Um, some of the cities we've been in, even if maybe don't have an expansion team in year one, and a lot of them are educating it just on pro soccer in the country and letting them know that it's an option for your city. And then our owners, once they get into the market with their team and we work on their announcement, they spend a lot of time with their fans and learning what their fans want out of a pro team, how they engage in the community, and to see what type of impact they can have there, whether it's economic development you know, that comes into town for hosting international matches, um, or is it you know, knowing your fans, we want a we want a hometown hero on our roster. We want that local guy to give that opportunity with. So each one's completely different, and I think that's what makes the league so unique. Is that why we all operate within the same set of rules? Everyone does it differently. Uh, like I mentioned uh, to our team earlier, we may have a coach that gets hired that likes to play more of an English style, very direct, over the top, and where you may have a different coach from a different part of the world that wants to play more possession based or model it after. Uh, You'll see what Bob Lilly right now is doing in Pittsburgh. Bob is phenomenal as a coach of getting a young team to perform highly on the field. And um, hats off to him what he's been able to do and his success in USL. So, you know, it's an old, you need a veteran, why you need a young staff. But um, the key comes down to always being engaged in the community and working with your community on it. Yeah, definitely. And um, what are some of the difficulties that have faced the league early on? I know people will talk, you know, there's lots of talk on Twitter about are they going to meet this regulation? Are they going to meet this criteria? Are they going to be able to pull this off? Um, are they going to be the next league that folds and not be able to take care of their business like, like USLD2 has been able to do? So what are the some of the things that have been more difficult for you in the early stages? Well, I, I think if you look back at it, I wouldn't even call it a difficulty, to be honest with you, Phil. I think we looked at this methodically um, and put a strategic plan together that really is for 10 years mm. of how we would approach this league. And a lot of that stuff we learned with USL. And, you know, over the years where we've, you know, every league in this country has had teams that didn't perform to a level, but we have a lot of high-performing teams now. And 
our ownership is just through the roof. Um, if you see some of the guys are bringing into the leagues that own NBA teams or MLB teams or uh, hockey teams, I mean, it's just unbelievable to see their experience in professional sports hmm. in addition to their normal business. So I would tell you, like, the biggest thing for us was which cities do we go to when we had to travel? <laughs> Like we had a list of, you know, if you look at the markets between 150,000 to a million in MSA population, that's 249 markets throughout the U.S. That represents about 75 million people without direct access to soccer, pro soccer. So when we looked at it, it's like, man, okay, you can't just throw a dart at a map. You know, we're just like, okay, well, we were very fortunate in Greenville, South Carolina, as an example, that when we met with the mayor, being a native um, of Louisville, Kentucky. He was the former um, president of the chamber in Louisville and had moved to Greenville. And that was awesome because we could share that experience together. But he saw what a professional soccer team did for Louisville, Kentucky, who's now building a 20, almost 20,000 seat stadium, mm -hmm. um, soccer specific. So you're able to see this effect of, you know, what USL and pro soccer throughout the country has had an effect on. So I would say, um, you know, our time was great. We were able to spend a lot of time on the road, which is beneficial to the league, to talk to community leaders, and then to go from there to say, you know what, this is what we're doing. It's proven. You know, we have a proven league that continues to grow. Do you want to be a part of it? Mm. And uh, that was the, I wouldn't even say it was a challenge. I think that was one of the most fun parts, to be honest with you. Very cool. Um, so I guess it's safe to say they won't be difficult to meet not only this year's criteria, but to really grow in, in the following years. Um people wonder if any of those teams will be two sides who have um, disappeared and maybe they're going to make a comeback. Uh, perhaps Rochester Rhinos making a comeback. Is, is D3 a good place for teams like that to, to reappear? Well, I think it's up to the teams to make that decision. And so um, as they look at the models, maybe uh, they like the Division Three uh, formula, which is close to that of USL, but um, that's a decision for that league to make, or that team, rather. Um, to make as we grow this league. So whether it's a, a new team or a team that's an MLS second team or a uh, USL team that continues to evaluate their position or maybe one day they change ownership and ownership has a different vision, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, but we're fully dedicated to our teams and making sure that whether it's Division Two or Division Three, that it's a strong structure and that it's stable and that these teams, it really then becomes up to them to work, operate within their market. So... Um, we look forward to getting off the ground in 2019 with 10 teams. We anticipate uh, we're already actually in discussions with teams from 2020 and 2021, believe it or not. Nice. Um, that's an exciting aspect to see that there's a desire for pro soccer. Um, so, yeah, we, I think we'll um, be right on target where we want to be, right around 21 to 24 teams by year three. That's that's lovely. Um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it's up to them to do that. And D3 is a really good place. And you want to build the D2, D3 stability. And um, I wonder if part of that will be helping the D2 by, you know, I guess people are assuming that more two teams might move down at some point. And so will that be the sort of one of the roles of, of D3 is to strengthen D2 by bringing in new teams and perhaps getting them ready for D D2 or taking some down perhaps that aren't ready for D2 to strengthen that, that market as well? Well, I think the, the role of USL Division Three is really a foundation for professional soccer in the country. Mm. Um, really that great entry point, right, where uh, not only cities or team owners, but we also get where can that amateur player who's now out of collegiate eligibility 
now go to play professional ball? Where's that first opportunity, that door that will open for them? Where can a referee get more games to pursue a pro license? Or where can someone like me 20 years ago get your foot in the door to start working in the sports industry? Uh, so that's close to me. And that really means a lot to me for what we could do with this league. And then how that builds up. How does that make Division Two better? How does that make MLS better? Then how does that feed into our national team mm-hmm. um, by providing more opportunity to say, you know what? Our job is to support soccer in this country as a game, right? And then as a business. But to say that we're driving and creating a foundation for pro soccer and then elite soccer throughout the entire country. Yep. You led right into my next topic, and I think you answered it there. I love how this is going to affect the United States landscape uh, to a great, very great degree. Um, uh, so I'll skip on to the next uh, next topic that I was curious about. Uh, Jake Edwards mentioned an international possibility, rather, of an international tournament in 2019. Is that uh, something you intend to take part in as D3? I don't know its structure, but maybe you can talk about its structure this year, and, and if you're not a part of it this year, that maybe you'll try to be in the future? Well, I can certainly tell you a, a hot topic around the office is the potential of this interleague competition between usl division two and usl division three mm. um, where our teams will be able to compete against each other i don't think that's a 2019 initiative i really believe that's 2020 at the earliest okay um in for this potential competition between the two leagues i know our team is feverishly working on it uh, to iron out the details obviously the the schedule calendars the usl is at 34 games this year um if division three launches at 24 to 28 You then have to find this perfect melt of how many games to make sure that you're, you know, you're adding in open cup, you're adding in this competition, and then you're adding in playoffs and any exhibitions. That's a lot of soccer. Yeah. And that's a lot of matches for these players. So our competition department will continue working on that. And um, we anticipate 2020 for that. And our teams are excited for it. I can tell you. And when we met with all of our team owners at the mid-year meeting for USL division three, they were eager about the opportunity to play the guys at, uh, USL, and I think you'll start to see some great rivalries uh, launch between inner divisions as well. Most definitely, and I said inner international. I meant interleague. So thank you uh, for correcting that there. Hey, if there's an international tournament, let's figure that out too. <laughs> well, I let's guess do, that's let's do one thing at a time. <laughs> I'm with you too. I, I guess there was a rumor, and it sounds like perhaps that was definitely a rumor. I mix them up often, which is a problem for me. But um, there was a rumor that other, you know, perhaps Asensio uh, from Mexico would be a part of that, or the Canadian Premier League, since they're going to be started up. Is that a possibility that they would be a part of that? I haven't seen anything on that, but uh, if someone's having that discussion, it's obviously at a higher level than me. Okay. How many guys are above you while we're at it? Too many. <laughs> okay. There's more than I thought. Okay. <laughs> uh, fair enough. So I'll ask Jake that if he grants me another interview, that'll be one of my top questions there. Cause that would be a lot of fun. Um, Okay, um, we have really covered a lot of ground here, and uh, you've given us a lot of information. And oh, the next thing that that leads right into is the big one that I can't not ask: is Pro Rel. Um, how sure. does that How does that tournament have to do with with Pro Rel? You know, I think it's uh, when you look at the structures of both leagues and what our owners want, which um, obviously their fans are interested in the Pro Rel topic as well. Um, is it finding that perfect mold, right? And part of what we have to do, and it's our responsibility as a league, is to ensure before pro rel could even occur is that um, Division Three is strong and stable. Hmm. 
and built out. Now that doesn't I don't have a defined time frame for it, but it certainly is a hot topic. That topic is always going to be asked. We understand that. And so our team continues to work on it. It's not something we can push down the road, but it's not something that's going to happen in 19. So I think it says we continue to grow this league and maybe the um, interleague cup, um, you know, will show how these teams really compete against each other and we can go from there. Um, but, you know, we're, we're excited about getting the league launched in 19. It's a great milestone to get our materials into the Federation after three years of work. Um, and we got it in a day early, which is thrilling. Um, you know, so you're not pushing that last second deadline. And we continue to work with a dedicated group of league or team owners that are excited to launch uh, for 19. And so when you look at what's going on across the league, it's not just guys operating teams. It's over $100 million development in Statesboro, Georgia. You know, that includes a 25 to $28 million stadium. And one, what I'm reading now is two hotels, a movie theater, and potential grocery store, and millions of dollars in roads and infrastructure. So we're not just developing soccer here. We're developing um, and, rent and updating and providing more infrastructure to cities mm-hmm. and for people to enjoy the game. And that's unbelievable to see the reach that we're having already in year one. We haven't kicked the ball yet. <sighs> Love it. Um, you know, you're talking about owners and, and their developments, and, and surely they're not just developing and spending all this money just to stay in D3. Let's let's say ProRel doesn't necessarily happen ever uh, for USL between D2 and D3. Is there? Have you guys already started talking about a pathway from D3 to D2 that is more perhaps a, a capitalistic venture? Well, our owners are focused on D3, and I think that's the important thing. And um, whether someone has long-term aspirations, we probably don't know of those yet, but um, we're focused on that kickoff, you know, and we always tell them, you know, keep, you keep an eye on the long-term prize, but mm-hmm. realize that uh, March 2019 is around the corner. Uh, as much as we can look at a calendar and say it's seven months, roughly seven months, it gets here a lot faster than you think it's going to. So these guys are building up their front office. They're starting to sell tickets. They're launching websites. They're out, you know, making sure that their branding and their crests are complete and represent their communities properly. So they have a lot ahead of them. And we're, as a league, here to support that and make sure they're ready to go. So when we kick off in March, we uh, we know that they're going to maximize their impact and make sure their cities are proud of them. Yeah, definitely. Um you know, a lot of the fun part of, of USL uh, D3 development has been kind of, I like the game that we played where we're trying to guess where the next team is going to pop up. And, and gosh, there's so much potential for so many different markets, just like you were mentioning earlier, uh, for so many teams in D3. It was it was fun to kind of pick those out and kind of talk about not only the ones that got it, but the ones who perhaps got snubbed, if you want to put it that way, or didn't quite um, make it in this season. But um, one of the surprises was... Uh, Chattanooga, of course, and uh, you agreed to talk about this. And I think uh, the first thing that occurred to me when I saw, you know, that it was going to pop up there, and that the original uh, GM for uh, Sean McDaniel from uh, CFC, uh, or did I say that right? Chattanooga FC. Um, he quit, and he he's going to be a part of the the pro soccer version, the USL version of that team. And um, I think my first thought was surely. Um, if you look at perhaps Tormenta, who was PDL and, and moved to USL3, surely USL offered the same thing to Chattanooga FC. And so is that is that sort of how that went down? Can you kind of lead us into how this came about? Well, I can tell you that Sean is a phenomenal executive. Um, and, uh, the guy has long roots in Chattanooga, if you would, and which I think he and I kind of connect there because at the time I've spent in Chattanooga in my life as well. And 
Um, he's definitely spent more time there, but I can definitely tell I enjoyed it as a Tennessee guy. But when you look at Chattanooga as a whole, um, USL has been in conversations regarding Chattanooga for many years, uh, whether it's you know it, from someone local or someone from outside the market. So um, to see the fact that fans have been wanting professional soccer and now they have that professional soccer team in the market is phenomenal. Um, and that opportunity presented itself for Sean. Congratulations to him. Um, but we know that this professional team will serve thousands of fans in that market. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the biggest questions that people have about that situation is, is, you know, since they already have a successful team there, granted it's not pro, like you said, um, mm -hmm. why not focus on other markets and let that pan out and then kind of come back when they're, when they're without a team? Define without it, who would be without a team. Well, let's. I don't know. I mean, I assume that was part of the whole Nisa possibility, and so I wasn't necessarily going to ask about Nisa. It seemed like perhaps that team might not make it. There's stadium issues, I guess, going on. So I thought perhaps that team was going to disappear at some point, and you guys might be able to come in and, and take that market. Perhaps that's not the way it might go. Is that where you you feel like there wasn't going to be an an opening unless you did it this way? Is that kind of the feeling? Well, our focus remained on launching a strong Division Three, and mm -hmm. whatever any other entity wants to do purely is their prerogative. And, you know, for us to uh, work and to serve our ownership properly, we need to remain focused on what we do as a league. And, you know, when you look at Chattanooga as a market, again, a phenomenal city, um, great soccer culture in that market. Um, but what was missing was professional soccer. And um, that's what the fans wanted. That's what the community wanted. And so when you look at um, numerous cities throughout this country, uh, there are amateur teams that exist. There are professional teams that coexist in their markets. Mm. Um, so we didn't see it as a, uh, however you want to coin it, but for the fact, the fact of the matter is professional soccer has arrived in Chattanooga, and that's awesome. Uh, with a great owner who loves the city, um, you're going to have a great front office who are – I guess the term was Chattanoogans, <laughs> um, <laughs> and again, provide, I think they're estimating 40 jobs um, just to start hiring for the team. So it's phenomenal to see the impact they're going to give back to the city. I'm sure they're already planning many exhibitions and hopefully international exhibitions and how they can provide the great atmosphere for Chattanooga. But no, like I said earlier, I mean, that's Chattanooga has been a market that's been on our radar for a long period of time with uh, for professional soccer uh, from those inside and outside the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so I guess the 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 last thing I was kind of curious about is is the public outcry has been relatively strong at least in the Twitter world in the Reddit world, which is kind of where I live. So I don't know if uh, my perception is a bit off, but um, since that that public outcry has been relatively strong, um, is that something where if there are other cities that have a similar situation, you might you might try to avoid that or attack it differently or maybe work together with the team. Is there any way that this would change your strategy in the future or is it kind of open game you'll go where where pro soccer is is needed and wanted well again if you, i think if you look at it there have been equally if not more uh, positive reactions mm. to the professional team being announced in chattanooga and there will be more uh, you know once they figure out their branding how they're going to move forward and announce their key staffs and hirings and things like that which is great it's a passionate market and but there are thousands that are excited for this. So um, great to see that response. And as we look at each market, obviously we continue to do our due diligence to ensure that the market can support a professional team.
Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and there is, uh, what was the, I'm looking for my quote, but I guess there will be a public event in the coming months. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, how this team's going to progress as, as time moves on before next year? As much as I can is that we're currently scheduling that date, uh, working with the team on a date that works for them. And we look forward to getting to Chattanooga to work on this formal in-market event that'll celebrate the arrival of professional soccer with them and and uh, where they'll unveil more plans for their club and how they're going to plan on moving forward and really kicking off in March of 19. Nice. Um, let's talk a little bit about the future, uh, the short-term goals. What are some of the, the, the checking of the boxes that you have between now and opening day? Sure. So uh, actually, it's interesting. So now that everything's into the Federation, the Federation will continue to uh, conduct what they call compliance visits each market. So they'll meet with the ownership and the leadership in each market, tour their venues, uh, walk through their business plans, um, and really just vet the teams out the same way we have. Um, but at the U.S. Soccer Federation level, as they move through that phase, you also look at, if you look at it in a parallel path, the league is continuing to announce teams, continuing to work with teams as they hire their staff, focus on their announcements, help them if they need it, get it up and running when it comes to everything from ticketing sales to sponsorship sales, ticketing systems, um, how you know their coaching staffs when they hire them, how they'll start to recruit players. So there's a lot that will actually happen behind the scenes that we don't do in the public eye. Um, but it'll be up to the teams if they want to reveal a lot of that. We've been pretty open at the USL Division Three front about what we've done, and which I think gives us a very unique aspect that no one else has done. They'll let fans come with us on this journey to launch a professional league. So we'll continue that um, outlook and share, fan, share with fans what we're doing as a league up until March of 19 and beyond to say, hey, here's where we are, here's what we're doing, here's who we're talking to. Um, we've learned a lot. I've enjoyed sharing more beer than I can remember with fan groups in different <laughs> cities. I've been in more stadiums and microbreweries over the last year and a half than one should probably be allowed, but it's amazing. Um, it's amazing to interact with our fans and future fans and just soccer aficionados as a whole. Yeah, um, it's pretty great that those two things go hand in hand, so that, that soccer tour of yours must have been pretty enjoyable. It certainly was, but I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it's great to see some neat things in some cities that we're working in currently that I can't really tell you a lot about, but mm that have embraced a very similar culture and how they're embracing that within their city to grow um, just their community. And so hopefully uh, we'll be able to share some more with that with you shortly. Sounds great. Sounds good. Okay. Any more, anything else you want to say about uh, USL D3? I think we have some more fun questions coming up here in a second. Hey, we'd love the fun questions. Um, (laughs) But you know, the interesting thing is I think as we look at this league, what's important for USL division three is it launches is, to see how it represents the communities in which these teams operate. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, it's the name on the front of the jersey, uh, not the name on the back that they're representing. So as everything moves to this, I hate to use the term hyper-local, but, you know, now fans want a team of their own. They don't want to support a team four hours away. And I love that because it really builds that sense of community. We're excited to see that continue to grow. Indeed. All right, you ready for the fun ones? Sure. We pretty- haven't done those already. <laughs> I mean, I've very much enjoyed all this, cause, but I'm a huge nerd. So, um, Welcome to the team. Yeah, perfect. Um, these are pretty typical ones. There's one especially good one at the end, though. But um, what would you say is your favorite team? In which league or what sport? You know what? I used to ask favorite soccer team. I'm going to go ahead and leave it open for anything. Oh, geez. Um, if you know me, I'm, I'm a huge Tennessee football fan. There you um, go. 
of the university alumni from there. So it's close to my heart, but, Mm -hmm. and having worked in the athletic department, I have a lot of great friends are still in that athletic department, but, uh, definitely if you go by sport, it it changes somehow I became an Aston Villa fan. I'm not sure how that happened. (laughs) Uh, so don't hold that against me, but, uh, it's certainly, I think it's because, you know, Brad Guzan was there and they definitely had some uh, great exposure there, but, um, I definitely like to find myself a diverse sports fan. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I grew up rooting for Mizzou, which now Mizzou and Tennessee are pretty, uh, pretty close rivals here and there, depending on the year. I don't know. You keep winning. I don't know if we're rivals anymore. Maybe not. <laughs> I guess I don't know how we won last year. The team was terrible, but I guess they got better at the end there. But um, how, what would you say is your favorite league? You know, you're you're definitely very involved in in USLD three. So I wonder if uh, there's a league out there that really impresses you in the same way. Oh, geez. I mean, we've. We've studied so many leagues and spent so much time with it. Um, right now, I'm fascinated with esports um, and seeing how that's grown the game. Having yeah. worked in the video game industry, um, so when you see like the Overwatch leagues and stuff like that, it, to see stadiums full of 25,000, 30,000 people watching teenagers play video games to me is a dream come true. So <laughs> um, I'm not good enough to be in those leagues. I get that, um, but. I think that those to me right now are the most fascinating outside of what we're doing at USL, just because it's um, really evolving the game. And you've seen the NBA, you've seen um, MLS and other major leagues, obviously NFL, right? As these guys are looking at it, um, continue to adapt to the digital footprint of sports. And um, that to me is very intriguing, especially when I think a lot of us grew up when people were telling us to play video games that you'll never make anything of yourself to quit wasting your time. But now mm-hmm. look, at what these people are able to do. Yeah. Don't ask me to play Fortnite. Oh my gosh. I haven't touched it. Uh, We're both old. I think that's the answer to that. There you go. Um, Okay. So I guess, obviously it sounds like, do you still play video games? Well, I try, I get beat pretty bad in the office when someone challenges me to a FIFA match. Yeah. Um, I I enjoy it. I think it's good to keep up on the industry uh, to find out like the 2K league, how they were taking the game and, um, adapting that to the NBA mm-hmm. or um, I'll check out Twitch and watch some of the stuff from Overwatch and the esports leagues. But um, I, that's about the extent of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's not much time for that anymore. So follow up question. I think you probably just answered it without knowing uh, you have kids, you have a family, uh, a beautiful wife. Okay. Who, uh, <laughs> It brings organization to my world of chaos. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That the, the whole family thing, even without kids can kind of get in the way of the video game play for sure. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I was kind of curious about. Um, uh, I stalked you online. I saw a nice picture of you fishing and, uh, you had a giant fish as uh, holding up a fish in a picture. So, uh, is that what you like to do on your free time or what else do you like to do perhaps with your wife even? Well, actually, that photo that no one else really knows about uh, <laughs> was from a week before my wedding when uh, some of my best friends and I went deep sea fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. And that was a some form of a grouper that was like 30 pounds. So the biggest fish I've ever caught, or at least claimed to caught. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, I value my friends and family. And luckily at USL, I consider a lot of our coworkers, um, and this whole group was just dynamic as an extended family. And that's what makes this great place so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got that feeling. Everyone was pretty close in the office, um, which was good. I, I got to visit last year or this last summer. Uh, oh, this last, were you here when we uh, just expanded the office? Yeah. It was right after that. Yes. Okay. Uh, great. Yeah. It was really nice. So 
got to meet everybody. Everyone was kind of chatting and talking in, in that in that open area right there to the right. So phenomenal. Um, okay, you ready for the big question? There's another one. Okay, yeah, let's do it. This is the best question. I have to give our network, uh, the guy who runs our network, Mike Sparks, credit for this one. And it is Mighty Ducks, what's the better movie, D2 or D3? <laughs> oh, really? I need to bring in John Koshel from our office. He loves the ducks. Um, <laughs> this is a I measure were... of your bias level, basically. <laughs> All right. Well, let me... I can't believe I'm going to have to tell him you asked me this question. Because um, we always love Julie the cat as the keeper but and the knuckle puck. But when you look at, I think D3 was the one where they brought out the Anaheim Mighty Ducks logo, wasn't it, at halftime? Oh, no, that was D2. D2. Because they played Rock the Pond and you had the Bash Brothers. Yeah. That's kind of tough to beat in my book. I remember, if you really want to get personal, listening to that soundtrack at Space Camp back in the day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'll just geek down on you. But it's uh that that was one of my favorites, without a doubt. And D three is strong, but I have to go with Rock the Pond. I mean that's my personal preference. I, I think that's I think that's the right answer, but if you said D three, I might have to question that maybe you're just uh stacking D three, you know, stacking that bias there. But <laughs> um, well, you know, it, as long as as long as it has a USL in front of it, we'll call it even. Perfect, perfect. Um all right, so I, that was gonna be it, but now you have to tell me about Space Camp. What it had to have been in the nineties. What how old were you and what was it like? Oh geez, I was in middle school. It was not like the movie. Uh, to be honest with you, but it was uh, it, it was just a really cool experience. I mean, like everyone, I wasn't going to sports camps a lot at that time. Um, my friends were, but this was like my one choice. I was like, I always want to go to space camp. So um, as a gaming kid that, you know, loved video games and um, you get to sit in those massive multi-million dollar simulators and hmm. uh, command a space shuttle mission. That was pretty awesome. Oh, man, that was a dream of mine as a kid. I think a lot of boys grew up wanting to be uh, be able to go to space camp and become an astronaut. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. You did it. All right. Uh, that's all I got for you. That's Steven Short. He's the vice president of USLD3. Uh, thanks for joining me, sir. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Phil. and look forward to catching up again soon. Mm-hmm. We did it. I hope you feel a little more informed about D3 and, and hopefully excited about the things to come and, and the, the potential of the league. Uh, we'll be talking about it more on the USL show, I'm sure. And so I just wanted to get on here and uh, thank you for listening. Also wanted to encourage you guys uh, to check out Soccer Loco. And if you need any kind of soccer gear for you or your kids, your wife, as a gift to somebody um, for your over 30 league, if it's uh, someone like me, go to our website, theuslshow.com, and there's a Soccer Loco banner that you can click. And if you buy anything after clicking on that, uh, we get a little bit of that. So it's a good play, good way to support the show and get something in return. We have a Patreon on the same show, on the same page, USL show page. And uh, if you'd like to donate in any way, please do that. Um, if you haven't heard already, we have a, a live chat during the show. And so um, we'll be posting that every time we do the show on a Monday night. You guys can take part in, in the show. I really, really enjoy the show more now that people are taking part every week in, in, in uh, helping us shape the conversation, asking questions, correcting us. Uh, <laughs> even some things slip through the cracks even with the chat there um, which is just fine but um, thank you everyone for listening again I hope you enjoyed the show thanks again to the league for, for granting the interview 
And uh, I do need to say thank you also to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. This is my voice going out because I screamed too much at the FC game on Saturday, and I'm about to go to another one now. So wish me luck. Good luck to everyone else and your teams. Thanks for listening again, and I hope we hear from you guys soon.